Welcome to the Parkway Fellowship Podcast. We hope that God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Mike McGowan. Now, about five years ago, something happened that changed my approach to parenting, honestly, in a good way. I was driving down the road, and I was listening to a podcast by Sandra and Andy Stanley. And Andy Stanley's a pastor at uh, North Point Church in Atlanta, Georgia. And they were talking about the four phases of parenting. And I thought to myself, I was like, four phases? Like, I can only think of two. Exhausted and expensive. Like, that's all I got. So I was like, okay, what, I was like, what are the four phases of parenting? And so, anyway, I want to share with you what the four phases of parenting are, okay? The first phase are, is the discipline years. And this is years basically one to five. These years, you're doing a lot of telling your kids what not to do. You're like, don't bite. Don't throw your toys. Um, don't throw a fit. Um, don't forget to say please and thank you. You know, don't forget to start to share with your brother or sister, you know, whatever. You, you do. In, in this phase, you just feel like all you're doing is disciplining your kids and telling them what not to do, okay? Then you move to what's called the training years. This is basically 5 to 12. In these years, you're training your kids what you want them to do. Like you're wanting them to be proactive in sharing their stuff. You want them, you're training them to not burp at the table, to have good table manners, okay? You're training them to be nice to others even if they're not nice to you. And if you're a Christian, you're teaching them how to sit in church, how to pray out loud. You're training them to do these sorts of things, okay? Then you move to what are called the coaching years. That's basically 12 through 18. Now, this is a pretty big transition. In fact, we're in the coaching years right now. When, when our kids kind of started junior high, we sat each of them down and we said, hey, look, we are no longer going to treat you like a child. We are going to start to coach you. Now, your role is to be coachable. So, uh, and, and look, just like a coach, in these years, you tell your kids what to do, and then you got to let them go do it. And they're going to mess it up. And when they mess it up, you know, sometimes the, you, there needs to be a consequence, sometimes there doesn't. But then you re-coach them about what to do, and then you let them go try it again. That's what the teenagers are. They're, it's a coaching type thing. And then if you do all of this right, if you do all these three things right, then you get to arrive at the friendship years. This is 18 years and older. Remember in week one of this series, I told you that one of the goals that Amy and I have is that we would always be close as a family? We're aiming at this. This is what we're going for. We're aiming at being friends with our kids. And just like you do with friends, when your kids get older, you don't treat them like children anymore. You treat them like you do your friends. And so you don't offer advice unless they ask for it. Because that's what you do with friends, okay? Now, for some of you, like, this is all you need. You're like, okay, I'm ready to go home. Like, I, I'm done, I'm good. Like, that's all you need, right? Okay, so before you make your way to the door, let me tell you a couple things that Amy and I have learned by watching firsthand other parents, okay? Let me tell you some things that we've learned about these phases. May, you know, maybe you want to write this down somewhere. Okay, the first thing that we've learned is this, is that each phase is just a phase. Each phase, it's just a phase, I remember one time when I was at work, uh, I called Amy, and it was a long time ago when our kids were really small, and she said, Mike, I feel like all I've done today is discipline the kids. Like, that's all I've done. And, and there were days that I felt like all I'm doing is discipline the kids. But you know what? There'll come a day that whatever phase you're in, you won't be in that phase anymore. Because it's just a phase. 
Okay? The second thing that we have learned is this, is that if I get the phases out of order, it almost never works out well in the long run. And I've seen this before. I've seen you know, like moms, you know, hey, I'm going to try to be the cool mom, and they try to be their kid's friend we know, when they're co- in the coaching years. I'm going to be the cool dad, and I'm going to be all my kid's friends, that kind of thing. It almost never works out well because teenagers especially, they need boundaries, and they need some discipline. They need some of that in their lives to help keep them from going off the rails. And if you try to be a friend too early, it almost never works out well. Or I've seen parents, you know, fall off the road in the other side of the ditch. They get stuck in one of these earlier phases and they never move out of it. And so they become so heavy handed in their discipline that the only thing the kids learn is to fear them. They never learn the lesson of what you're trying to teach them. All they're learning is to fear you. And so you never arrive at the friendship years because the kids, they don't want to have anything to do with you when they get older. So, I, look, I, I, I get it. Like, these phases are, are tough to navigate. But hopefully, thinking about them in these kind of blocks will kind of help you make those transitions in your parenting as you go. Okay? Now, grandparents, I got some great news for you. Okay? Now, I don't have any empirical data to support this, okay? But I have long suspected that if you're a grandparent, you get to skip the first phase entirely. So let's put these four phases back up here. So now check it out. These are the four phases, what I think are the four phases of grandparenting. If you're a grandparent, like you don't have to do the discipline years at all. In fact, you get to promote all these other phases up. You get to experience all these phases a phase earlier than their parents do. For instance, in years one through five, you're not disciplining your grandkids. You're training them. You're just reinforcing what your kids are wanting to, you know, teach their kids, teach their children. And then when they're 5 to 12, you get to coach. You you just start coaching them and share your life experience with them. And then you get to move to the friendship years way earlier. Look, this is why grandma, like you can have your granddaughter over to your house, you know, for cooking. And who cares if you make a big old mess? Who cares if there's stuff ever? Who cares if it even tastes good? Because you're coaching her when she's small or when she's a teenager, you're just two friends getting together, cooking together. So who cares? Because that's not the point of it anyway. Granddads, this is why you can teach your grandsons how to use certain tools or take them and teach them how to fish. And if they don't do it exactly right, who cares? It doesn't matter. Because you're in the phase ahead of their parents, right? It's a good deal for you. Okay, now listen. Now, as far as these phases go, you know, the years they're associated with, God makes every child different. And so some kids are a little bit ahead, some are a little bit behind. So don't get too hung up on the, on, on the years. Those are approximations, okay? But how do we make sure that we arrive at the friendship years at the end? Like, how do we, how do we make sure that we get to that? Because that's the part that's the most appealing, right? So let me give you a couple of big things that God says so we can take God's heavenly principles and pull them down to some down-to-earth principles. Here's the first way that we, how we know we've successfully arrived at those friendship years, and that's this. I need to make God part of my family's daily life. I need to make God part of my family's daily life. I got two key passages of scripture here 
that I want us to look at. The first one is a passage we actually looked at last week, but I want to bring it back up again. In Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 and 7, it says, These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. We talked about that last week. And so how do you impress them? You talk about them. I want you to circle that. You talk about them. When you sit at home, when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up, okay? Now, the second verse is in Ephesians 6, 4. The Bible says this. It says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Okay, so, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, one of the keys to bring your child up in the instruction of the Lord is to make sure that God is a regular part of your family's life. Because look, check it out. When your kids and grandkids come to church, they're going to hear things like, you should love God with all your heart. That God is the most important thing in life. That you should follow God with all that you are, even if it costs you something. They're going to hear that over and over and over again. But when they're at home, if they, if they never hear God brought up in conversation, if no one ever prays to God, if no one ever mentions God, if no one ever asks about, ask God what he wants your family to do whenever you're making a big decision, if they don't hear any of that, none of that sense a part of that, then it sends your kids and grandkids a really weird message. Either God is just an activity that we do on Sunday, and when we leave church, we put God back in his little box and put him on the shelf, and we'll take him out again next Sunday. Or it teaches them that God's not actually real. And our family just plays religion one day a week. Either way, the result is almost always the same. Those kids don't grow up believing in God on their own. Because they haven't seen it be real in their daily life. And so it's a very mixed message. So let me, let me put it like this. And, and you, you should write this down somewhere, okay? Look, it's not convincing if they don't see it in me. It's not. It's, it's just not convincing if they don't see it in me. Look, and, and our Heavenly Father knows this, which is why this is one of God's greatest parenting principles that you make God a part of your family's daily life. Now look, Amy and I, we're not perfect. I, we're in this parenting thing just like you guys are. And so we, we've made some mistakes along the way. But you know what? We're doing our best to try to make God a part of our regular daily life. And not just so the kids see it, because, you know, we do it because God's real. Now, Amy and I have shared some things last week that we do to, you know, make God a part of our daily life. But I want to share, take a few minutes, I want to share some other things with you. And look, and these are just ideas just to get you started. I'm sure that some of you will take it to the next level and do like a way better job than us. So here's just a few things that Amy and I do. Um, when Amy and I, or have done, when Amy and I were in the disciplined in the training years when the kids were really really young one thing that we did was was we made sure that they had videos to watch that taught bible stories and bible truths and and they were super successful a couple of the kids favorites um focus on the family put out a set of videos called the story keepers our kids loved them they were really really good there's another set of videos by an organization called nest and so the nest videos they were really good um and then, you know, all the VeggieTales stuff and some other things. And, and in fact, my kids, when they're here next week, they're going to talk about some of that. Um, but those, all that stuff was super-duper successful for our kids. Another thing we did when our kids were small was we bought each of them a little kid's Bible with lots of pictures in it. 
And so what we do at night, we would read them stories out of their kids' Bible. And then when they got to be in kindergarten and they could start reading for themselves, that became one of the books that they read. And they could ask questions about it because there were pictures. And it helped just reinforce that imagery and they could see it in their little minds. So it was super successful. Now, when we moved to the coaching phase, um, there were some other things that we did that look a little bit different. You know, for instance, um, whenever, I, whenever I read something really cool in the Bible, like a lot of times I'll just share that with the kids, like maybe in the car on the way to school or, you know, at dinner, I'll just talk about whatever it is I read in the Bible. Or if I see them reading in their Bible, I'll ask them, hey, well, where are you reading and what'd you learn? What'd you get out of that? And I, and I try not to do that too terribly much because, you know, like, oh, it's the pastor, you know, kind of thing. But, but I try to make it just part of our daily conversation, you know? Um, or when our kids go to youth camp or they're in the youth group, we'll ask them, hey, what'd you learn at church today? Or what'd you learn at youth camp? Or what'd you learn at Fusion, one of the retreats, something like that. Uh, and parents of, of kids, if you have kids fifth grade and under, our kids ministry sends a take-home sheet every weekend when your kids are in church of what they learn. So that gives you some talking points, some things that you can ask them about, all right? Um, another thing, like if I've memorized a cool Bible verse, like I'll, I'll share that Bible verse with the kids, or if they've memorized a verse, I'll ask them what that is, and you know, we'll kind of do that kind of thing together. Um, and that's really cool. Um, for us, another thing is whenever our family has a big decision to make, like like a few years ago, it was public school or private school. Like, what do we do? And so we told the kids, we said, hey, what you, you go pray about it. Amy and I will go pray about it too. And in a couple of days, we'll get together and we'll talk and see what God's told us all. And here's the cool thing. We got back a couple of days later. Um, we said, okay, what do you think God told, him, told you? And every single one of us, all four of us, we all said, we felt like for our family, God was asking us to move from private school and go to public school. But God told each of us in a different way and revealed to us his plan. And so it was such a cool thing. But look, all that kind of, it just makes God a part of your daily conversation, just part of your daily life. And it reinforces how real God truly is. Another thing, um, I, I, there was a men's... Um, small group that meets in my neighborhood that I got to be a part of, and uh, we were talking one night about how to pray with your kids, because they, they all have little children, their children are behind mine, they all have like little kids in the early years, and so we started talking about how do you start praying with your kids at night before they go to bed, so I want you to listen to what they said, let's roll this video. So what started was we... Um... Sam and I were talking about doing a small group here in, in Weston Lakes, which is where we live, and um, we asked Pastor Mike if he could tell us the names of some other guys around the neighborhood that we didn't know that went to Parkway, so we tried to do this group, and he said, well, I'd like to join if y'all would have me, and we're like, well, yeah, of course. It was a leadership book on Christian leadership, so we were talking about leading our families, and one of the topics was praying with our kids, and so both uh, Sam and me, I think, talked about how you know, we felt it was a little awkward praying with our wife especially, but even our kids, we didn't do it a lot. And so Pastor Mike told us a story of how he used to pray like a pirate with Libby and Ben and a robot. And I remember thinking, you know, this is just kind of our crazy pastor. I'm just the, you know, type A CPA. I'm just gonna stick to the basics of just, you know, praying like a normal person. One night I decided to give it a try and my, uh, my younger daughter absolutely loved it. We started with the pirate, and then we did the robot, and we went to the cow and a bird, and 
it kind of removed some of the formality around praying, sort of made praying fun with our kids. You know, it wasn't really about how exactly we said what we did, it was more about what we were actually trying to say. And uh, it certainly got our kids more engaged and it certainly got our kids just kind of excited to pray at night. I think, yeah, I'd agree. I mean, just a great opportunity to pray at any time. I mean, now, kind of since we had that Bible study session, kind of praying at the table, like, let's pray together. If we go out to eat somewhere, let's say a quick prayer. And, uh, and now, if we put them to bed, if they don't get their prayer, they say, Dad, Mom, come give us our prayer. We didn't get our prayer yet. And, and my youngest son, he wants to go through several iterations of prayer. He wants to, you know, dear God, this is what we're thankful for. Please help us in this area. Uh, let's say the Lord's Prayer, and so I mean we can we'll sit there in different prayers for 10 or 15 minutes. What's the weirdest thing your kid has ever asked you to pray like? I'd say the hardest was the bird, which we ended up basically saying every other two words, thank you Jesus, chirp chirp, <laughs> for mommy, chirp chirp. The two like key ones are the pirate and the robot, so oh, yeah. you know the robot's really easy to do, you know, you just kind of stagger your speech, and then uh, the pirate is pretty, pretty canned, it's you know like, dear God. Thank you for not making me walk the plank and for having your son walk the plank for me. Uh, and for loving me despite being a scallywag, like, which is all Pastor Mike stuff that he kind of gave us. So that was plagiarized, yeah. plagiarized, but, but effective. And I think that's really the key. I would say for my kids, hopefully praying with them uh, at a young age, that as they get older, they'll be able to have a closer relationship with God. Be able to talk to him like your best friend and, and not have the hesitation to, you know, reach out to him and talk to him. I would say making it real and personal is really the, the key thing here. And it's uh, it's making them talk to God like a friend or like a family member, or something that they can open up to and just be honest in themselves with uh, and love. You know, I think being silly praying like this, it kind of takes the formality and kind of the, I have to do this out of it and more that they want to, because obviously I want my kids to have a real relationship with God and walk with Him every day as opposed to feeling, you know, obligated, well, I have to pray, I have to go to church on Sunday, and then it just becomes an activity. What it kind of showed us is just a better way to lead, and it's leading by example, by uh, not caring about those formalities and those details, and really caring about the substance that you're praying with. And now my daughter sees me uh, do that, and, and they begin doing that themselves, and uh, just kind of reflecting on the changes that have been hers is fantastic. If you're gonna pray with your daughter each night, I think the, the other one is you know praying with your wife and obviously you having a prayer life with, with God yourself. And So my kids hold me a lot more accountable. So you know when my kids go to bed and I haven't prayed with them, they, can, they get out of their bed, walk in the other room and say, Daddy, we haven't prayed tonight. And I think part of that is because it's all of a sudden really fun for them to do. It's a stall tactic too, but it, it's a good stall tactic. It, it's like, I want to brush my teeth tonight. It's like, no, you don't. You just don't want to go to bed. <laughs> I mean, well, we understand what this game is, but it's a good game to play with praying, obviously. Yeah. And brush your teeth. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't that super cool? I love that. I love that. And listen, just say, hey dads, if you're ever thinking about like praying with your kid like a pirate, you got to make sure that you end it the right way. You got to always try to end it with, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, <laughs> got to do it the right way, right? And look, I, I think I think God is not upset by any of that kind of thing. I think God loves it when we're just trying to make that kind of stuff engaging and fun with kids because it lets them grow up loving God. It's such a good thing. So, um. Anyway, now look, I mean, I, I don't, 
I don't pray like I'm part with my kids anymore because like my kids are teenagers. Like, they would think I'm totally weird. Um, I mean, they think I'm weird anyway. But anyway, that, but, but I still pray with them every night. We've been doing it ever since they were little kids. And so it's just the natural thing for us to pray together at night. And, you know, now, like, we're praying for their future husband, their future spouse one day. Um, and now, look, if you've never prayed with your kids before and they're little, just start now. Like, just go ahead and start so that's what they grew up doing. And look, if, if you have teenagers and you've never prayed with them before, I would encourage you to go ahead and start now. And, and just start with, hey, you know what? Just offer. Just say, hey, I'd like to just say a quick prayer before you go to bed. I mean, who's going to say no to that, right? Nobody would say no to that. And, and look, I'm going to tell you, if you've never done it before, it will be weird. It's going to be awkward the first few times, the first few weeks you do it. But after a couple weeks, it just becomes the thing that you do, and you'll be doing it. Now, let me tell you a couple reasons why uh, this point is so important. So let me wrap it up with this. H- how does making God a part of your daily life, how does that help you arrive at the friendship years when you get to the end, okay? Well, the first is this, is that it potentially saves my kids from regret and heartache. Because if you can, it'll start your kids on the right path, following God, following his plan for their life, and that has the potential to save them from great regret and great heartache. I mean, kids are going to make mistakes. They're, they're not, not going to do it all perfectly. That's fine. But as a general rule, it will probably save them from a lot of difficult things in life. And here's what will happen. When you reach the friendship years, at some point, they will circle back to you and say, thank you. They'll say, thank you for how you started them out. Second thing is this, is that... Um, let me put this up there. Shared values make better friendships when my kids are older. Shared values make better friendships when my kids are older. Because look, if your kids grow up in church and they grow up adopting the values that you have, that means that they're not going to have values you know, that are set up by Oprah or by what they see in movies or what they hear on TV or through other media. It will be based on the Bible and what they've learned at church. Hopefully what you have reinforced at home. And again, I mean, they might not but you're at least stacking the decks so they could. And so, listen, it just makes the friendship years much easier because you have shared values, right? Like you do with the people that you're already friends with for the most part. Okay, so here's the second big parenting principle today. So write this one down. This is a big one, okay? Don't trade what only I can do for what someone else can do. Don't trade what only I can do for what someone else could do. Now, we actually talked about this very principle about a year and a half ago. But in case you're new, or in case maybe it's kind of slipped off your radar, I, I really felt like the Lord wanted us to come back and revisit this principle, okay? Now, what I mean by that is this, is that you are the only dad your kids are ever gonna have. You're the only mom your kids are ever gonna have. That is your unique role in this life. In fact, even if you've adopted a child, You're the only parent that child has. Even if you divorce and you remarry, you're still their mom. You are still their their dad. That is your unique role. It's unique to you. However, at your work, or if you volunteer at your volunteer organization, there are other people who can do what you do, and one day someone else will do what you're doing. For example, like let's, let's take Tom Brady. He's been the quarterback of the Patriots 
like what, like 30 years now, something like that? It was like forever, okay? But look, there's going to come a day when he will not be the quarterback of the Patriots anymore. That day will eventually come. And if you're an Eagles fan, it can't come too soon. Like, I get that. But it, it will happen. And so if Tom Brady were to trade time with his kids for more time as a quarterback of the Patriots, that's a bad trade because one day that will end. But he will always be their dad. Now, look. There's exceptions to everything, like, you know, extra Super Bowl practices. Like, I get that. And for you, mom, dad, that work, there's exceptions to everything. But as a general rule, if I'm consistently trading time with my kids so that I can spend more time at work, answer more email, take more phone calls, work a little bit late, that's a bad trade. It's a bad trade. Let me give you some biblical evidence of this. King David, greatest king in Israel's history, same guy who defeated Goliath, same guy who extended the borders of Israel farther than they would ever be extended in history. He was a great king. But it came at the expense of being a dad. For instance, his son Absalom took revenge and killed a guy who had harmed his sister. And so he fled for his life. Well, King David reached out to his son and begged him to come back to Jerusalem. And then we read this terrible, terrible, terrible verse in the Bible. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 28. It says this. It says, Absalom lived two years in Jerusalem without seeing the king's face. I mean, can you imagine? And finally, Absalom got so sick of it, he just barged in on his dad one day, and it's like, Dad, what's the deal? Why did you even ask me to come back if you didn't want to see me? And they eventually worked it out. But what a waste. What a waste of those years. For what? It's just, just pointless. And so look, let me, let me, in fact, let me, let me just say it like this, okay? Write this down somewhere, okay? If you win at work, but lose at home, you lose. If you win at work, but you lose at home, you lose. Look, I'm going to be honest with you. I have made some mistakes here. And my kids, when they come up next week, like, they're going to talk about that some. But here's the deal. A year and a half ago, when we talked about this very principle, I made a commitment to God. My commitment to God was that if my kids ask me to do anything, like throw the football or um, you know, play a game or watch a video or sit with them and do anything, I would say yes to them. And I would not say no. And I mean, I try not to say no for any reason, but I definitely was not going to say no to them so that I could finish up working on a sermon or you know, answer an email, return a phone call. Like I was not going to say no for any kind of work-related thing. That, that was my commitment to God. And I've lived up to that. So look, so mom, dad, would you make a similar commitment? Grandparents, for you, especially if you're retired, there are going to be people that are going to try to rope you into volunteering and you know, being a part of this organization or that thing or whatever it is. But if you trade time in that organization or time volunteering for less time with your grandkids or if your kids ask you to help with their grandkids, you are making a bad trade. 
Because you're the only grandparents those kids have. So would you make a commitment, grandparents, to adopt this principle as well? Okay? Because if you say no to them, and yes to whatever this other stuff is that helps other, fam- other people's kids, you lose. I mean, you lose. Now, I don't want to heap on too much guilt for everybody here, because look, there's exceptions to everything, but just make sure that they're exceptions and not the general rule. Okay, look, think about this. Think about what our Heavenly Father did for us. Like, God didn't say no to us. When God looked down and he saw our world and he saw all of us just lost in our sin, separated from him by our sin, God did not say, man, what a shame. I wish I could do something, but I've got a whole universe to run here. I don't think I've got time for that. No. What did God do? God sent his son to this earth at great personal cost to himself because he knew that his son was going to die. And he allowed his son to die on a cross so that if we would accept his forgiveness because of his death, that that would restore a relationship with God and we would go to heaven when we die and have a relationship with him while we're here on this earth. That is what God did for us. But it gets even better than that because this whole notion that, oh, you know, I don't think God cares about my little problems because, you know, he's got a whole universe to run. That's ridiculous. God sent his son Because he wants to have a relationship with you and with me. God cares about everything in our lives. All the little stuff. Because a relationship with him is more important than running the universe. And so if God sets that example for us, why should we do any different for our kids? Or for our grandkids? We shouldn't. Our relationship with them becomes the priority. And if we do that, that helps us arrive safely at the friendship years when we get to the end. Now, let me just say this. If you're sitting here and you've never accepted Jesus into your life, you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart to save you from your sins and receive his forgiveness so that you could go to heaven when you die, if you've never done that, there's a prayer. It's at the bottom of your message. I'm going to pray for all of us in just a second. And while I pray, I want you to pray that prayer that's at the bottom of your notes, okay? So I actually want everybody right now, bow your head, close your eyes, let me pray for us all. Heavenly Father, I want to say thank you for every parent and grandparent in the room. In fact, even every future parent and future grandparent listening today. And so I ask that you would help us to adopt your heavenly principles in these down-to-earth ways in our lives. Help us, oh God to be the kind of parents and grandparents that you want us to be so that we can walk through the discipline years, the training years, the coaching years, and enjoy the friendship years the way that you want us to. And guard and protect our kids and grandkids along the way. Draw them close to yourself and help them to walk with you as we try to walk with you and that you would walk with us. And ask you to do all of this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more.